and welcome to another episode of GDPR Now, our podcast dedicated to all things related to data privacy and security with all sorts of technology in between. Your host today is me, Karen Heaton, owner of Data Protection for Business, still recording from my home office in southwest London. For regular listeners, you'll know that this episode is part of our series that we've been running addressing security and privacy concerns resulting from the coronavirus pandemic and how our lives are being affected as a result. In this particular episode, we're going to start to discuss the hot topic of vaccine passports or certificates. And yet again, we're going to look at the practical, technical and privacy aspects of those proposed changes. So today, I am delighted to introduce to you Roger Marlowe, who's joining us again. Uh, He spoke to us last year in December when we did a session on our Track and Trace apps podcast. So Roger, as you may remember, is a software professional with over 13 years experience in building and delivering software across many different industries, including retail, banking, defense, and automotive. As well as that, Roger has got a range of um, technical expertise, which he's going to help us understand the impact of the UK government's proposals for vaccine passports or vaccine certificates, depending on what comes out from the results of the proposal. So Roger, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Karen. Great to be back. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. So let's just take a quick look at how we got here. What is it we're trying to achieve? So obviously, Previously, we talked about track and trace apps and some of the issues we had with those. And now we're looking at what? Vaccine passports, certificates? What is it the government is is trying to impose on us now, Roger? Well, it's a good question. Um, So uh, actually, you'll probably search in vain for a formal proposal from the UK government. I did. uh, Probably the best definition, if you like, and maybe a good place to start is uh, what the European Union is proposing. And they break it down into, into three pieces. So they're saying there might be a possibility or they're proposing uh, a vaccine vaccination certificate. So that would basically say what product you had, how many doses you had it had and uh, when you had them. Yep. A second part would be a test certificate. So what type of test did you have? When did you have it? Actually, down to the date and time, interestingly. Uh, where did you have it and what was the result? Uh, and by the way, that that's um, excluding self-testing. You're not allowed to self-test. That would have to be done by by an official. And then the third part, which is also intriguing, is a certificate of recovery, uh, which uh, tries to pinpoint the date at which you recovered from COVID-19 and, and who, who the issuer of that uh, certificate might be and a validity date, although it's all a bit murky as to what what, what recovery is. But anyway, so the, it's the EU proposal has those three parts, but vaccination, test and certificate of recovery. So that's that's the proposal. And then there's the question of what it might be used for, which we can get into. Yeah, Yeah. well, exactly. So, I mean, I think the European Commission's proposal for the digital green certificates was primarily about a solution to allow free movement of people back across the EU. Exactly. And, and I think, and anyone I've spoken to anecdotally, the, the idea of requiring some sort of vaccine proof or immunisation proof for international or cross-border travel is pretty well accepted. We have to do that today. We've been doing that for years. Yeah. So the, the European Union has a, 
you know, particular um, uh, issue, if you like, with it, because um, freedom of movement is one of the founding pillars of the European Union. It's part of the Maastricht Treaty, signed in 1992. All member states have to guarantee freedom of movement as a fundamental unalienable right, regardless of whether you've been vaccinated or not. Uh, they also built into there, though, an, a kind of escape clause to say that member states could restrict freedom of movement based on three criteria, one of which was public health. And all of the member states have, have invoked that clause. So they've basically shut their borders and you can't move around um, uh, you know, because of, because of their COVID restrictions. So they, the EU needs a way out of that. So, so the EU proposal is specifically aimed at restoring freedom of movement um, inside, inside there. Um, but um, of course, it, it ain't just going to stop with freedom of movement. Correct. So um, obviously in the UK and, and other countries, actually, you know, Qantas last year very quickly said you'd need proof of immunisation before you get into Australia. So, yes. you know, countries around the world are trying to find a solution for a common standard of COVID-19 immunity verification. You know, on so I did some research and found, you know, a couple of companies. There's a company called Common Pass run by members of the World Economic Forum and some public and private partners. They're building this global app for immunisation verification. So obviously they're trying to operate at a global country level so that everyone's got the same ability to prove that they have been vaccinated or in some way they're safe. Right. Because this is one of the issues you're going to get straight into with international travel is um, standardisation of certificates. So with people turning up um, at your border from all over the world with what they consider to be a vaccination certificate, how do you know it's a valid vaccination certificate? Who issued it and what is it really saying? So um, you see this problem popping up, um, you know, in all sorts of countries um, uh, with countries saying which which types of passport they accept, actually even which vaccines they accept. So not every country accepts every vaccine, by the way. So um, you, you might turn up and say, I've, I've had Sputnik or whatever, and it's like, that's not good enough. Um, off you go home again. Yeah. So it's not just a passport that's the issue. Um, and then there's a question of like what the passport actually um, gives you as well. So it may, it, it, it may not just allow you entry, but whether you have to quarantine or not. So um, and then, what, you know, whether you have to quarantine, whether you have to pay for your quarantine and then what other things you're allowed to do. So uh, beyond that. So it, it may, once you're into the country, uh, that may not be the end of it. Uh, you may also have to show your passport um, if you want to pray at a mosque, for example. Um, so. Um, yes, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of variety um, around the world. Um, it's, it's not just a case of whether vaccines are in use, yes or no, uh, whether passports are in use, yes or well, no. And also, I think, um, as we've talked before, what, we're, what the world, I think, is trying to do here is create a global solution um, to something that's actually can be quite complicated, as you've just outlined, uh, create a global solution in a very simple way using an app. So... I think we shouldn't underestimate the challenges behind that. That's one yes. point to 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 bear in mind. We're, we're, we may actually be at the beginning of the discussion around what it is we're actually trying to do here. No, absolutely. So, I mean, the whole question of the app is also interesting. So, uh, again, when you look around what various countries are, are proposing, there's usually a clause in there that, that admits that not everybody has... Um, either the right technology or even any technology. And so there's often a, a clause that says, oh, but of course there'll be a, there'll be a paper certificate uh, to back it up, which is actually the, you know, your, uh, 
for for no, a normal travel passport, you wouldn't necessarily expect that to be on your phone. You, we all have we all have the little booklet. So actually, a travel passport is usually paper based, um, although quite quite technologically advanced because of all the um, um, all of the anti forgery technology in passports. Uh, but we're we're used to a paper a paper based passport. But the, the the vaccine passports are almost always proposed as being digital. Uh, with some kind of crypto technology into um, to, to ensure authenticity, um, uh, and the, and it's interesting to note what would the fallback be to a paper a paper version when you're when you're basically relying on digital certificates to to, to prove that you know it was issued by a um, a verified provider. So there's a that even like the question of is it an app or is there a paper version? Even that's not clear. Correct. You know, where you you know t- technology is great, but. As you said, we're trying to develop a globally accepted technology solution. Well, have we done that for anything else? I'm not sure we have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and usually you have to resort to the lowest common denominator, and usually that's that's paper based um, paper based certificates. Exactly. So, um, so Common Pass is, is one app that's out there. They're trying to um, make, I guess, make theirs a de facto standard. And there's another there's another organisation I found actually. Uh, might be worth mentioning, they're called the COVID-19 Credentials Initiative, CCI, um, and they are an open global uh, community looking to deploy or help um, privacy preserving verifiable credential projects uh, using technology, which is open source Linux based, as far as I understand. So, you know, that's another organization who's out there looking to build something that is going to be, you know, perhaps safe enough. Um, although, interestingly, I did look at their privacy policy online, and yeah, I've got some suggestions for improvements. <laughs> <laughs> what what we're seeing though is uh, is a, a typical pattern that when it, when a new problem arises, then there's this kind of rush of solutions in the market, and um, it's a you know we'll see who see who wins out. We had a similar thing with the test and trace apps last year. Uh, which you know, again, there was a whole a whole bunch of proposals out there. Um, countries wanted to do their own thing. Um, te- big technology providers like like Apple and Google offering up solutions. Uh, open source initiatives uh, kicking off, uh, and then they all inform each other. So eventually, uh, Apple and Google actually adopted one of the open source initiatives uh, coming out of uh, Switzerland, and then the. Tend to be, countries kind of gave up on their their local initiatives and all went for either uh, went for the Apple Google technology. So it'd be interesting to see how this one uh, pans out uh, for passports. Uh, but what it does need is it needs some time to develop and it needs some time to uh, have that debate and have those iterations. Uh, and what we're seeing, I mean, again, similar to last year with the with, with with the test and trace apps, is that governments are in a rush. To get an implementation out there, because they need to uh, have you know, roadmaps out of you know, their lockdowns, uh, and it's very expensive uh, uh, until they can get to the end of it. So there's a there's a there's a kind of an urgency to this, which means that uh, the debate may not you know may not be enough time to have have adequate debate. Right. Yeah, and, and that's always the worrying part of all this, isn't it? You know, we understand the rush, but unfortunately, in rushing, um, you know. We can develop a monster for the future. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, so this is a um, this is a even more complicated problem than uh, the, the test and trace apps, and it's it's being it's being conducted in a in a shorter time frame. So uh, yeah, I think we need to be careful, and uh, people need to uh, 
put the thinking caps on and, and just think, hang on a minute, what are we doing here? What are we, uh, what's this tool that we're building for the future? Um, you know, is it, as, as the European Union uh, say, is it um, necessary, proportionate and effective? Um, and um, how do we, you know, how do we balance, uh, balance the, you know, the possible discriminatory uh, or unintended second, secondary uses, as, as the European Union has, has pointed out, against you know, the, the benefits that it's, that it's going to bring us. Correct. And actually, it's probably worth just having, uh, spending a few minutes on that. So, so as we said, the European Commission issued a proposal for the Digital Green Certificate. And then this week, the European Data Protection Board and the European Data Protection Supervisor issued an opinion on that proposal. And just a few key points from their opinion... Um, what they were saying is that obviously the digital green certificate was, is primarily to be used for the free flow of movement. However, if it's to be used for other purposes, then obviously it needs to be lawful and apply the appropriate GDPR safeguards. And in, but it, what it also says is that in particular, the opinion does not allow for a centralised database at the EU level, which is quite interesting. Um, and a bigger problem for the EU than it is for the UK, obviously, you know, we've got 27 countries there. They're trying to coordinate. We, you know, we've arguably got one. I see, arguably, <laughs> the Scottish and Welsh governments do different things when it comes yes. to health. Um, so they, they've been very specific. They don't want an EU-level database to be created. Um, they also talk about how important it is that the role of the controllers and processors of the of the data is very clearly outlined. Um, and they do say that GDPR should not represent and does not represent a barrier to fighting the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're very strong on, uh, as you say, this no, no centralised database. Uh, again, that's you know where the, the, the UK government got into trouble last year uh, when it's proposed design for, the, for their test and trace app. So, that actually persuaded the UK government last year to give up on a centralised database. So that's the European Union's making that uh, that case again, uh, and I think they're right to do so. Um, they uh, <clears throat> and they're you know they're then, as you say, pointing out that although the European Union proposal is is about uh, allowing them to get back to freedom of movement, uh, they are concerned about the the unintended consequences of um of, of secondary uses as they yeah. call it um but again um it's it, it's good that they're, they're sticking to their guns and saying that this is not an exception to gdpr that gdpr must still must still apply Correct. um so and i think you know in my view what i've seen from the the european union proposals is that they're you know they're they're sensible and considered, and I think that it's a uh, you know I think you, you can you can you know learn a lot from from having if you can stand to through the legalese from from reading <laughs> reading the proposal and both the proposal and the response to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because there's two things come from that. One, as you said at the beginning, where is the UK's proposal? Um, I tried to find something concrete to read, couldn't find anything. And secondly. Um, the EU opinion makes it very clear that all three of the vaccination certificate, the test certificate and the recovery certificate, whatever that might be, need to be used together. Otherwise, there will be discrimination. There will be sections of the population that, that can't access various things. 
Um, yes, yeah, so the example they give, by the way, is you know is, is a nice one that, that they admit that the progress of the vaccination program will will be you know different in different parts of the of the EU. Um, and if some, you know, we know it usually progresses by age. So if somebody who is evidently a young person is able to present uh, a vaccine certificate, um, that's you know indirectly says that that person probably has a chronic disease because that's how they they got ahead of the program. So you've already leaked some health data at that point. So you know th- those kind of situations are you know the readily to hand. You know how do you how do you deal with that? Really is fraught with difficulty. Okay, so we've looked at the bigger picture, you know, the picture across the world, the requirement to have um, evidence to show that you've been immunised or you don't pose a risk to the country you're entering, uh, the solutions and the opinions that the EU has presented. Let's start to look at, you know, what are potentially some of the onboarding issues? So assuming we can come up with something that is technically sound, or technically secure, and there's a big question mark around that. Um, I think, you know, you've been looking into some other reason and states who have been trying to implement just this scenario. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting thought experiment. So, um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a person who, who builds software in, in healthcare, so it wouldn't be uh, out of, uh, uh, completely beyond the, uh, bounds of reason that I might get asked to build this app. So how would I, you know, how would I build it, and what what kind of things would I have to think about when I did when I was doing that? So certainly in the UK, uh, knowing whether you've been vaccinated or not, that's actually something that is recorded on your uh, on your uh, uh, summary care record, which is your medical record, which is held at the so that, yeah, there's there's a, a detail record um, and then a summary record which is held by your GP. Yeah. So that would be um, that would be accessed from your summary care record. Now you can already get access to that. So uh, if you go to the app store and get the NHS app, so this is different to the track and trace app, uh, the COVID nineteen yeah. app. But if you go to get the NHS app, so that's been around for a while. Um, it, it's somewhat unremarkable, um, rather dull little app where you can go and get it. It's actually got a kind of medical dictionary of conditions on there. For anybody who hasn't discovered Google yet, um, there is there is an app with a list of conditions in it. Uh, but it's got this side side thing that you can actually log in and, and see your summary care record, um, and it's quite an interesting process because that data on your summary care record is the most private uh, protected data that there is, and so getting access to it is necessarily quite complicated because we really have to verify that the person who's getting access to it is who they say they are. So is that the same, or I guess that's the same app um, and technological infrastructure that my GP surgery has used to give me access to Correct. the surgery? Using that's it. right. Yeah. yeah. So so, um, and so you do, you, you do have to go through a number of steps in order to make sure that when I downloaded it and I registered on it, it, it was me and not somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, but it's, but the point is, what I'm making is it's quite a complicated process and, you know, involving. It needs to be. It, it's necessarily complicated yeah. because that is the most private data there is. Um, and so it, we really need to be sure that the person accessing it is who they say they are. So yes, you've got to, of course, you know, give up, you know, who you are, date of birth, NHS number, 
but also um, uh, other other documents to validate who you are. So, you know, a, a passport, but how do we check that the, that you are the, the holder of the passport? So there's then a, a, a photo you have to take of your face. And actually, it's not a still photo. You have to take a moving photo. Um, it's taken in multiple colors. So you can't just get hold of a photo of someone else and hold it in front of the camera. You know, it's it's kind of complicated. And then there's a, a text sent to you, uh, to, the, to the number that you, you give them. You have to then you know, put the text back in. Then there's an email sent to you. So there's this kind of rather convoluted verification process. And what you one of the things that comes to mind when you're when you're going through it is thinking, I bet a lot of people don't make it to the end of this process. It, it's pretty complicated, and um, we're not suggesting surely that a vaccine passport or certificate app would actually be accessing through a similar route or summary patient health records, are we? Surely the appropriate uh, COVID immunization slash recovery slash testing data would be pushed to another yes here we go you see so this is interesting so um uh you're damned if you do and damned if you don't so it either sits on your medical record in which case we've got to get access to your medical record um which um is is necessarily complicated and most people probably won't make it through the uh through the process or worse they'll ask for help in getting through the process. And this, I think this is a problem. So if you, so, you know, I think we've all been in the situation, if you, if you work in technology, uh, you might have relatives who say, oh, could you just help me, you know, set up X, Y, and Z? Um, that's fair enough. And, you know, we all, we all want to help out. The, the problem is that if you're then sat with a relative, um, helping them through this process, at the end of the process, you're presented with that person's medical record. So you get to see, you know, your your mother's medical record or, you know, your grandson's medical record or whatever. And, you know, that's, you know, that, that's, that's problematic. Um, what's even more problematic is if, if, it, if it isn't just a family member or neighbor who's, who's helping out, if people are just Googling around looking for help. So, you know, how do I, how do I, you know, get on, how do I get onto the, the vaccine app? How do I get myself on boarded? Yes. You can imagine all sorts of people are waiting to offer yeah. their help. Um, and they're not all. Genuine. Just give us access yes. to your machine, and we'll do it for you, sir. Yeah. So, so this is the problem that it, it's a it's an absolute bonanza for scammers and fraudsters. So yeah, if you get that phone call saying, you know, um, hi, I'm from the you know the Citizens Advice Bureau, which is it's a government run scheme to help you get on the vaccine passport. All I need is all your personal data to get on there. You can see how it goes, right? Um, so uh, th- this is the problem with complicated onboarding processes that people get stuck and they ask for help and the people offering the help aren't o- always genuine. Um, and, you know, this it's even more of a problem because uh, people are going to be if if passports are used you know, to, to do everything from, you know, a, a t- go into a pub to a- attend a concert recital to, you know, maybe even going to work. There's a huge motivation to get this thing set up and working, and so there's you know going to be you know literally yeah. millions of people yeah, looking for help. I agree. Yeah. yeah, and you know th- those are people who are already in the country. But if you're a, tra- a traveller or a tourist, yeah, if you're if you're a tourist or a business traveller, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do then? Yes, the the complexity is actually quite astounding. So uh, when you actually start to sit down and think yeah. about it, and so that's just to say that's that's. That's one leg of it. So if so, that's if if the app has to get access to your medical record, 
the alternative which we were saying was okay let's just scoop out all the you know the, the 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 vaccination and test results and put them in a separate database now that's what the european union is warning against they don't want one centralized um, covid Although, status database. but to be fair okay my personal opinion and i'm you know i don't work for the eu so you know obviously everyone's going to take this with a pinch of salt but they have a different issue in the eu because there's 27 different national yeah. countries right so in the UK, one national database is not necessarily something that we can't do or shouldn't do. I can understand in the EU that they've got different concerns about having an EU-level database. Uh, so, yeah. for example, yeah. we have so, a US um, national database of certain data across all of the states. I'm not, it's a genuine question. I'm not, I'm not sure. Is there, is there one database where everyone's... Um, tax reference number or something's held right right so yeah i mean obviously these um these big um databases are fraught with difficulty in themselves uh you know technically uh technically difficult but also then they become a, a honeypot for you know for hackers so that's why they're you know they're kind of frowned on from a security point of view um it's just a practical matter that we don't have one so we'd have to build it so that that would take time and it wouldn't necessarily uh fit in with with the government's uh, roadmap, you know, to to to, to get out of lockdown, so there there would then be a, a gap between uh, when when lockdown you know would end, so kind of post June twenty first or whatever the date is, uh, the the pass it'd be very unlikely that the you know the vaccine passport app would be ready if we had to build a unified national database. So um, as you said, we don't know what the proposal is because they haven't produced one, but the you know the various rumours that have leaked out are that it's likely to be. Um, an evolution of the either the NHS app, which already has access to your medical record, um, or um, uh, an evolution of the of the COVID nineteen uh, test and trace app. Um, although uh, to do that, um, the, the the government's got a bit of a problem there because Matt Hancock um, told Parliament that the app would be deleted, and so would all the data once the uh, pandemic was declared to be over by the WHO. So, so, um, so I'm not sure whether they would choose to do it in the COVID nineteen app. There, honestly, there are just so many questions. I'm not, not quite so, sure. Yes, that's, that's just setting it up a bit. <laughs> I'm just thinking about every, I mean, how many pubs and restaurants and clubs do we have in the UK? Yeah, well, we know, yes, I mean, it's, it's in the hundreds of thousands, right? So we know with the Test and Trace app, there was a um, there was a part of it where you would check into a venue, right? So if you went to a, um, a, sh- a shop or a, a pub or a restaurant or whatever it was, there was a QR code in the entrance and there was a part of the app where you were uh, supposed to check in. Uh, what I mean, I, what seems to have happened with that is it's fallen into disuse. I don't know if you see people queuing up to check in uh, in front of a QR code. Um, I, I think it's fallen into disuse. So um, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's that's one learning. I'm shaking my head, which of course nobody can hear. No, I haven't seen people do it. But then I've not been anywhere near a pub since you know. Something like the sixth of December. All venues have them. So in order to go any, to pretty much any business, you are, you know, the, there is an obligation to for that business to to say who's visiting and also which staff were there when they visited. Uh, but I don't think anybody's doing that these days. Or I haven't. I certainly haven't uh, seen people doing it in the past few months. So that's that's the setup bit. I think you know. Well, let's just assume we got past that and everybody, you know, happily downloaded the app and there were no problems uh, getting access to the data that it needs. Then the question is, okay, how how is it going to be used? There's all sorts of questions here. For, 
one of them is like who can ask to see it yeah so um th- I mean, this has been debated a bit um in in the kind of uk so the, it started off with do i do i need to show um my vaccine passport to go to the pub um so that you're kind of showing it to to, to staff down at the pub uh, but obviously it's not restricted to that it could be you know any any public place it concert venue, a theatre, cinema, uh, your school, getting on a bus, getting on the tube. And in fact, it could be anybody who just feels like asking for it. So if you, you know, if you think you're doing your bit, um, you know, to help help the government, you might say, you know, oh, can you just uh, show us your, your vaccine passport, mate, you know, and, um, and then what's your status there? Do you, you know, are you, you know, do you have to show it? What happens if you refuse to show it? What's that saying? You know, it, it may <laughs> maybe just think, I don't think you're the kind of person I want to be telling that to. So that that's a that's a fraught area. So you know who can who can see it? Where should it be used? Um, yeah. And, and so to draw some um, lessons from what's been done in New York, for example, they yeah, have so, something up and running now. That's not to say we'd follow exactly the same uh, solution, but you know, there's already been some. So yeah, exactly. We can we can speculate on what we think it would be like, but actually we don't need to speculate because it's already happening. So yeah, New York has um, has already is already well down this road. So they have the um, Excelsior app uh, built for them by IBM, um, and it's a kind of volu- voluntary thing where where um, venues uh, say that you you will only be able to gain entry by by showing your status on the app. Um, so yeah, sounds very similar to what's being proposed in the UK. Interestingly, if you go and look at the reviews for the app in the App Store, they are full of people complaining that uh, they uh, they they had a test or they've had a vaccination, but it's not yet showing up in the app, um, or that um, you know that, that the app doesn't work for them. It's showing some error code. They're not sure how to get support for it. So yeah, I think this this area of um, especially around uh, tests. So if you, the test is very time limited. So if you have, um, if you go and get a test um, and you have a negative result and you would like that to show up in your app to gain you entry to wherever you need to go, uh, it's time limited. Depends where you are and what the test is and what the rules are, but it's, you know, something like 72 hours. And it sounds quite a long time, but if you think about it, it's quite a, a, a few steps in the process from the test center to getting it, the doing the data entry to somehow it making its way through onto in our case it would have to be onto your medical record which is held at your gp so you are kind of at the um you know you're at the mercy of that data entry train that then leads on to the question of how does the app interpret the data so if you've had a test how long after the test does the app think it's you're negative yeah. for can you rely on that in terms of the vaccine when when does what are the rules in the App for saying yes, you're immune having had the jab. Is it after you've had one jab, or do you have to wait for your second one? How long does immunity from the jab last? There's a lot of debate about that, and the European Union has certainly said it's too early to say how long uh, immunity uh, lasts for, and that's that's their basis for saying we, we we can't recommend vaccine passports at the moment. But just just contemplating this, the world where there are vaccine passports, how long does immunity last? And then you're into the question of boosters. So you you might be feeling quite confident that your app's showing green. You're able to get go to go to go to the cinema, go to a wedding, go to the pub, and then one day it starts showing red, and that's because the app's decided it's time for you to get your booster. Um, so all your plans are on hold again. 
and and if you think this is just you know me making things up, there was uh, there was an MP uh, doing the rounds on on the media yesterday, floating this idea that uh, vaccine passports would be the mechanism to to ensure people got their boosters in the autumn. So yes, I think the the scenario there is we'd all we'd all get used to this, we'd all get used to waving our our phone at the entrance to all sorts of places, and then one day everybody's phone turns red because it's yes. booster time. <laughs> it's effectively another lockdown. <laughs> Exactly. Then we're all back to lockdown. And um, if you think how long it's taken to vaccinate everybody, and I know the, the UK has done a very good job of it, uh, but it but it has taken three or four months. So we could be into it. You could join a queue, which is three or four months long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's just not going to work, is it? I mean, let's face it. Um, but yeah, I, I also read the reviews about the app. And um, I mean, in any way, who, how do you know it's your phone? And and what kind of phone, how do you know it's your phone? How do you know it's your phone? Or who, people who have got old phones? You know, we're back to the same um, practical device issues that we discussed. Yeah, that we had with the trace apps. Yeah, yeah. And how do you know? It's, how do you know it's a true app? How do you know it's the right app? There's all sorts of fake apps out there as well. You know, you can imagine. You know, if I, if I was a six-year tech student and I wanted to go to the nightclubs, I'd be mocking something up as soon as it's released. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so then, then the burden's back on the um, the, the who who polices it. So um, again. You know, back to your question, you've got, you know, several hundred thousand venues around the country. Uh, they don't necessarily have specialist staff. They just want to have somebody on the door who's checking it. So can they really tell the difference between a genuine uh, vaccine certificate app and uh, and one of what will undoubtedly be many, many apps out there which will fake it? Listen, what we've just discussed about the practical issues, I think we've probably just scratched the surface, to be honest. I think, you know, the, the list could be very long. And the list goes on and on, yeah. So this is, and again... This is what we're saying with the test and trace apps last year. These things take time for this for all of the issues to surface, then for the for the technologists to address them and come up with solutions, then to go around again and say, okay, what are the consequences of those solutions? So you need this time to iterate. So this is how products, tech products in general, uh, evolve. The ones that survive, they go through many, many iterations, and, and, and often you end up quite far away from your starting point. The, the problem we've got at the moment with last year with test and trace apps and now with vaccine passports is that you don't have the time to have a have the debate and b have the iterations to get to the acceptable solution and, and you know there's a lot of sympathy for that um though on the track and trace apps you know i think as our podcasts showed and as the you know the evidence from real world trials shows we had so i'm talking about the uk and the eu for example we had um examples from other countries of how track and trace apps can work highly effectively. Now, arguably, um, they work highly effectively in authoritarian countries. However, you know, we chose a minimum data privacy friction route, I would say. And in doing so, track and trace apps have failed to be a useful instrument for governments in the UK and the EU, EU in particular in managing this pandemic. We could have chosen, because it's a pandemic, to collect much more data and use technology to help us identify much quicker than human beings on phones, uh, identify clusters of infections and address them quickly. Our track record of using available technology in use cases that have been proven or in other countries, we chose not to use, I would, I would say. So here we are, to your point, we're now trying to 
develop something far more complicated. And there is no proven, verified solution even to follow from. Yeah, I think you'd struggle to point at um, an outstanding solution where we where everybody's saying it definitely worked there's a, you know there's a lot of variables in this thing and it's hard to just control for all of them and say you know a test and trace app worked or a, or a vaccine passport app worked because there are there are many other confounding variables um you know including prevalence of the disease in the population so once once a virus is endemic uh, you know what? What's the purpose of, of test and trace? Um, it, everyone's got it anyway, or most people have got it anyway. So, so you know that's that's tricky. Um, but you know, just on the technology side, you need a lot of integration. So, the you know, if you look at places like uh, Taiwan, for example, which has a very sophisticated uh, test and trace infrastructure, they they have a you know, effectively a smart city infrastructure. So, you know, they've got the telcos joined up with the financial companies joined up with the transport companies joined up with the civic infrastructure and that kind of integration is uh, would, would be frowned on in the west um, actually we want to want an example of a of a city that's trying to do that and see what the reaction is have a look at uh, city of leeds council who are who are trying who are, try, who are trying to go down the smart city route um and um the the reaction to that is uh is 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 interesting, um, and and it's interesting what they what they think they're going to do with it. So, for example, they are uh, they they seem to be proposing a, a Chinese style social credit system where um, if you if you if you live a what they would call a healthy lifestyle, uh, you get you get benefits. Um, so yeah, that's that's the city of Leeds proposing that. So <laughs> uh, so yes, there's. Um, you know, you're quickly into hot water in these these things, um, and and again, it's it's the balance of, um, you know, what what's the problem we're solving and uh, what are the consequences? Yeah, correct, as you say, people if people are kicking back about being involved or or being tracked in a way that you're suggesting with the city of Leeds or other smart cities. That I, that I can understand, but you know, here we are still locked up in our houses, so. Yeah, so the, the context is t- to introduce such a kind of um, powerful tool, you'd need a serious emergency. So the the, the frame of, of of there being an emergency to do this is uh, is as I think what we're all going to be aware of, alert, you know, and and just just check that we do understand what kind of emergency we're talking about here. Obviously, everybody's got a different opinion on on how serious this all is. It is being used to usher in um, a seriously. Um, disruptive tool in the wrong hands and so i guess that this is the next point that you know we said okay assume you could set it up um and get over all the problems there and assume that you could um we could all find a way of living with it somehow in use then the question is okay that's that's this administration using it uh for this emergency but the tool is out there then and what about future administrations regardless of what you think of the current government there may well be a government that you're less favourable towards uh, coming in and it's got this tool at its disposal. And if it's happy to use your, your medical data in basically in, in more or less every aspect of your life, then what about when it starts joining up, you know, criminal record data, things like your work history. So, you know, do you, are you going to need to uh, prove that you've undergone 
diversity training before you can get a you know, job in the civil service, for example, or, you know, what, what about, you know, the emergence of things like non-crime hate incidents so that you, you haven't, you haven't committed a crime, but something's been put on your, on your criminal record. Does that then stop you working with children? All this kind of thing. And, you know, again, you might just say, yes, of course, we need all that. Um, you know, you might, you might take the view that, you know, that's, that's what's going to drive us towards a more civil society. So just put that to one side. The question is, what happens when it goes wrong? What happens when your when your app is showing red and you've no idea why you've you've lived a, a saintly perfect life, um, but it's still it's still red and now you can't do anything. Who do you yeah, call? The computer about? says no. I mean, it's bad enough. Yes, people have to go through you know computer generated decisions for credit credit checks, loans, a whole yeah. range of things. Computer says no. Well, why can't go to the local pub because you know it's flashing red. Yeah, and it's not you know okay. We could all give up a trip to the pub, but when it, you know if you can't attend your your daughter's wedding, you, you can't go on holiday with the rest of your family. Uh, you can't you can't go to work even. Or you can't get into the supermarket, and you've no idea why. So, and again, I'm not making this up. Go and have a look at the you know the the people's reactions in in New York to the Excelsior app. They're saying I've got this app and it won't let me get into the sports venue. I've paid a lot for that ticket, and I've no idea why it's why it's not letting me in because I've I've had the jab, whatever. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, the, the risks for mission creep, um, in the, as you say, in, in the right or perhaps the, the wrong hands are um, not worth thinking about at this yeah. point because it's not up and running. We're going to hope that we'll find another solution, I think, by, uh, by keep talking about it. Well, exactly. So I, I encourage everybody to, um, you know, take part in the debate. Um, uh, that it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's what's happening in the UK. So the government doesn't seem to have a formal proposal out there, but it is, you know, floating. It has various ministers and MPs doing the rounds on media, proposing various ideas, and they do seem to be listening. So, so um, the, the the initial proposal was that you'd, you'd need a vaccine passport to get into a pub. The, the Boris Johnson has now said that that's not going to be the case um, for for the hospitality industry, which is interesting. Um, so they they do seem to be listening. So they, you know, I, I would encourage people if you have a view on this to uh, you know to you know take part in you know you know you know radio shows or online or wherever. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a problem I think we face with the track and trace apps. How can we have these conversations? Um, right, I mean, I've written to my MP a number of times. That's not. I don't think that's going to help, but I probably, I mean, I will still write to her in the hope that something happens. Um, I mean, I have to say that if I was starting out in a program, and and an organisation said to me, "Well, what we want to do? This is a, a new program we want to run. What we're going to do is we're going to use the latest technology available to build a solution to a global, highly complex." Uh, set of uh, requirements, you know, there you go, you've got six months to do it. I mean, you would just laugh, right? I mean, if, if you're going to adopt, you know, any kind of project or program in the technology space, you look at all the risk factors and the complexity involved in those particular problems. And if you were going to use a new technology, you would do it to a simple use case, wouldn't you? Yes, I, I think what we know you know, in the world of software is that, you know, it, it's a risky business. And the, the way to mitigate that risk is to start small, start simple, and to to iterate. Uh, we've known that since Fred Brooks wrote The Mythical Man Month in the 1960s, and, and we haven't changed our view on it. Uh, even the most complex um, systems, you know, from, from companies like Google and so on, they start small and they, and they, and they iterate. Uh, you, you don't, on day one, release you know, your first version, a highly complex, highly integrated 
uh, apps that work uh, work straight off. You just don't, you know, it just doesn't happen. But we're talking here about, you know, something that has, that is the use, you know, the real world problem we're trying to solve is really complicated. Yeah, It's absolutely. every citizen, you know, it's every venue, it's every restaurant, it's every organization, potentially globally. Um, you would not start from here, that's for sure. And what's wrong with paper for now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just from a data protection point of view, it's uh, it's something like I don't believe anybody would even have contemplated a year ago. You know, the, the just the uh, the the privacy of the data involved, the number of people who are having to get access to it, the you know the the purposes of it. Um, I just think from a data protection point of view, it was so far out of bounds uh, last year that nobody could even think about it. And now here we are. It's 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 right in well, front of us. Well, and and. You know, the, the data privacy um, community did not allow the massive collecting of data to make track and trace apps yeah. accessible. Yeah. Yeah, so right. it'd be hard to believe that we would, that community would, which I disagreed with actually in a, in a personal capacity because I thought this time last year, there was a compelling need to get to grips mm-hmm. with this. Now, here we are, you know, we're in April, you know, 50% of the adult populations had a, a jab we're in a totally different part of, of the risk profile of this pandemic. And right. now we're suggesting doing something even more intrusive right. um, than, than we were last year with the track and trace apps. None of it kind of makes any sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I have to have to question the motivations. And, uh, and again, just back to our original thing where we started, what the European Union points out, uh, the proportionality of the you know of the measures you know to to, to the threat yeah, yeah and I, and I don't think it warrants it at this point but you know I don't sit on sage it's what I think doesn't really matter maybe after this podcast Karen there'll be an invitation coming it's coming its way yeah <laughs> that's a problem with sage sorry sage members if you're listening it's a very specific group of experts yes and they they'll admit that themselves right I think they'll say that they have a particular remit and they look at that remit and they offer their advice, you know, based on that scope. And then they would say it's up to the politicians to look at the, the wider picture. And I think what we've learned on this podcast is the wider picture is extremely wide. And so it's, so it is. So I know I'm here te- commenting from a technical point of view. But I think what we're saying is the issues are, yes, there are technical issues, but there are certainly issues at the political level. And that's why we need the politicians to... To listen to your podcast, Karen, I think is what we're trying to say. <laughs> I'll certainly send it the link to my MP and see what she thinks. <laughs> well, you know, we could yet again talk all morning about this, but I think we're going to have to wrap it up now. Um, for anyone listening, you maybe out having your walk or walking your dog or whatever, you're probably coming to the end of it. Roger, I hope we can continue this again in the near future because I think this topic is going to evolve rapidly. Great to do yes. this again. It leads me to say that it brings us to the end of our podcast today in this episode of GDPR Now. If our listeners have got any questions, please email me I'm on info at dpo4business.co.uk. Or if you want to appear on the podcast, please let me know. But in particular, I want to say a huge thanks to Roger for all the time and effort you spent on this. It's been fascinating to have you on again. So thank you very much for that, Roger. Thanks, Karen. It's been great coming back. Brilliant. And we'll, we'll see you, we'll have you again on the podcast very soon. That's it from me. I hope you will join us again soon. Take care and stay safe.